right. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, we got David Stockton and Dan Riccio and myself again. If you're listening, I'm Alex Eakins. Um, I'm a little, little more easy to figure out who I am if you're watching the video. Uh, yeah, but thank you guys uh, for coming to the third and final of the uh, post-Christian antidote deep dives. Uh, this Sunday, David preached a message uh, as part of that post-Christian antidote uh, sermon series talking about uh, being together and going together, uh, really, as those two things of being in community, uh, as gathering together, as living life together, living uh, together with your family, living together with your church family, um, and how that is such an important part of that post-Christian antidote. Um, and so, uh, which also conveniently was a really nice setup for the next series that we're doing, which is pretty much uh, those exact things. We're going to be spending a, a couple of months, more or less, um, the, the bulk of the next uh, next little season of time until the holidays, more or less, talking about uh, life together and what it is to be a part of the family of God, but also what it is to be a part of your family and how those two things inform each other and strengthen each other. And, and, and really, secretly, there's been this thing kind of underneath all of this year, pretty much. It, it, it has been, to some extent, the post-Christian antidote year, um, which is funny because David didn't necessarily know that. He was in Ireland. Um, but as we were coming up with things, we were talking about, well, what are the things that are going to strengthen us um, in just with using the terminology David's been building uh, with these post-Christian winds blowing, you know, with just the world kind of shifting the way it is, our culture shifting in a way that is not necessarily um, what it used to be, where we're seeing hostility towards the Word of God and the Christian worldview growing. Um, so anyway, uh, th this really is, it, it makes sense uh, that one of the things that the Lord is telling David uh, in Ireland was right in line with something that we were kind of pointing to the whole year as far as what a post-Christian antidote might be. So um, we're going to uh, start off uh, the night with this question, if you would. Um, what are some of the most anti-Christ things uh, that you see in society now? So I think um, if you phrase it as like one of the most post-Christian ideas, uh, it would be the idea that um, freedom means you can do whatever you want. And the deception behind that is there's no better way to lead yourself into crazy bondage than to think that way, where basically any of your desires are good, go and do that, uh, because that very thing will then lead you into bondage. Um, that's where addictions come from, debt comes from, um, all kinds of evil and atrocities under the banner of freedom is good. And the biblical picture of freedom um, is really nuanced and complex uh, and exciting where, um, you know, Martin Luther was someone who would write about it. He would talk about, um, you know, you're at the same time free and a servant of all around you. Or the picture in Genesis and the creation account is, you know, when God creates humanity, he says, you know, let's make humans male and female, uh, let them, you know, so that they can rule and reign and have dominion over the earth. It's kingship language, king and queen language, um, but then talks about their purpose in the garden is, you know, avad and shamar, which avad is the verb for slavery, um, so like to serve. And so at the same time, the, the nuanced picture in scripture is, you know, you're a king or a queen ruling and reigning, and at the same time, completely a servant. And if you serve God, that's when you're actually free, because he's the only God that loves you. Before you answer that question, David, I have a really important question that I forgot to ask. Yeah, we're going to start off a little bit light tonight. 
Um, worst injury you've ever had? <laughs> he gets that question, I get you, yep. this question? Yep, you get a really Worst he, injury I've ever had. He's got to answer that one, too. I just did it out of order. Well, is this, this would be the word. This is what comes to mind. So I guess when I was one, I broke my collarbone. I don't know, I don't know much about how that happened or what happened. But then I broke my collarbone again in seventh grade at my brother's football game, high school football game. I was playing with friends on the side. I got tackled and snapped my collarbone. I remember that. And then when I was a sophomore in high school, <laughs> I also broke my collarbone. Um, I was skiing and me and my friend, actually we were friends, we collided and his whole body, I think his whole body somehow went into my collarbone. And, uh, and it snapped, and I remember how horrible that ride and down the sled on the mountain was, and then in the car ride down the mountain. It was miserable. Do you remember when you were the youth pastor? I don't know if you guys don't know this. David, I broke my collarbone David then, Stockton too. David was my youth oh. pastor. The, at the McGowan's house, there was that slip and slide, and I don't remember who the other guy was, but Andrew Forsynes yeah. and some other broke guy who was collarbone. a lot bigger and beefier than him. They decided to run right at each other. On, we were having a big, huge, massive slip and slide. And they were going to run at each other, and one guy was going to slide under, and the other guy was going to jump over. But they both thought they were the guy that was going to jump over. <laughs> and so they ran full force at each other and jumped. And, you know, laws of physics, the bigger guy smashed the smaller guy. And I remember his, his collarbone snapped, and it looked like there was like a stick. I mean, he wasn't wearing a shirt, but it looked like there was like a stick sticking out under his shirt, but it was just his skin. You're welcome. The, the good news you, is he's <laughs> got a punch card at the ER for collarbones. Yep. Like one more, he gets a free treatment. They say he gets stronger every time, so this thing is like... Gong. There you go. What about you, Dan? Worst injury? Now that I've had any really bad injuries. Separated shoulder, which actually was right before coming to youth group once, and then you realize, oh, the way people say hi to you is they hit you on the shoulder. And so I come from a football practice where I separated, and I, hey, like, ah, but... That's, uh, yeah, nothing dramatic. I don't have anything good either. I think the worst injury I ever had was hyperextending a finger or throwing them out my back. Well, actually, the more cool. important question for you is how's your dad joke game developing? It's it's early in the game. I had it, strong dad joke game right, before good. I was a dad. <laughs> I've been a cheesy man for a long time. Um, well, okay, so uh, pivoting back to the more serious note that we started on that we weren't supposed to start on. Uh, but, David, uh, what about you as far as that question of what are some of the most anti-Christ things that you're seeing in society these days? Yeah, I, I think it's a good question. The, I've, I've, I've been interacting with different people, some church people, some not church people. And it is different because it seems like there are, ch church people are all like, hey, it's bad out there right now. We can feel, the, you say post-Christian wins, and they're like, they, you don't even have to explain it. They know what you're talking about. And then there's not church people who I've, in, I've interacted with who don't, they, are so, they don't understand that. They think everything, they, they think, yeah, there's, there's tension, but they don't, they don't see anything really negative. They see more progress, and all the tension is actually bringing about progress. And so, and, and then there's other non-Christian people I've interacted with who they think everything's horrible and miserable and you know, artificial intelligence is going to take over and ruin everything, or whatever it might be. So I, I think it is an interesting question. I think as Christians, we need to also not just always pit ourselves against what's outside Christianity, like everything outside Christianity is evil and horrible, 
and, and only inside is good. Um, I think that doesn't communicate well sometimes to people who are outside because then they're evil and horrible and all those things. But, um, but I think the, the thing that I'm, 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 I'm feeling is there's a there's definite shift in what, what, was, what was the challenge before is, is different now. And, and I, don't, I don't know how else to describe it, but I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you a little story. Um, I alluded to this on Sunday about a friend from our church invited me to go speak with his friend who's not a follower of Christ. And, and the whole story ended up with the guy going, do you do this every day? And we were like, no, we don't. And, but for him, it made sense. Like if we were really going to be serious about our faith, we would be doing this every day um, or, or doing something every day. And, and it was an encouragement to me in the end. But that conversation um, was, was fascinating because this guy is really sharp. Um, he's, he's a really successful businessman. He drove up in a Lamborghini. Um, and drove away in the Lamborghini too, just whatever that means, you know. Um, I don't know if you hang on to those things, people just take them or what. But um, but he he's the way I would describe it is he is of the opinion or faith. He wouldn't say faith, but but basically he had developed a, a coherent system of thought that I think would probably somehow be like an Elon Musk. Um, Joe Rogan, Jordan Peterson would maybe be the priests of this religion. Um, sorry if I'm offending anybody right there, but just track with me. I'm, I, I'm not saying those are horrible people. Um, but his idea is basically like suspicion. Just you can't trust anything anywhere at all anymore. Um, everything is a lie. Everything needs to be deconstructed. Um, basically like suspicion is the new way to really interact with life. And, and what it caused him to do is, is now, you know, we can't trust the government, we can't trust the church, we can't trust um, rich people, we can't trust corporations, we can't trust, like you just, you kind of just eliminate everybody. And, and, and so instead they just start drawing, you know, truth or information from all kinds of random sources, including even, you know, psychedelic drugs and things like that. Like maybe there's something that that has to say to us. So it's just kind of this interesting thing. So we used to, have, you know, deal with atheism or maybe we, there were times where we dealt with other religions. But now it's like there's this new form of thought that, that is coming through podcast world. Um, and, and so he got to the place where he was literally saying, we have been lied to. We don't have the intelligence to really know the truth. Um, our lives, he was talking about light speed for a little while in there. And I was just like, okay, man, let's talk about light speed. And basically what he was saying is our lives are so insignificant. Our intelligence is so lacking. Um, everything we know could be a lie because we've been lied to so much that, that there's really no purpose or meaning to existence. And it was funny because he was very excited about this as he's saying this. And I just tracked with him. And I was like, I, I can see where you're coming from. Um, he said that, you know, if he ever met Jesus, he would beat him up because, you know, he's done such a bad job of all the things he said he would do. And I was like, I can see why you feel that. You know, I, I might have felt that a time or two in, in my journey. But, um, but, but what it all led him to was either... The humanity of the future, and I'm, I'm not making this up. This guy, and this guy's not crazy at all. The humanity of the future 
has progressed so much that now they're able to control us and, and, and basically what we do means nothing, our lives mean nothing because we're just pawns in, in whatever their scheme is. And that's Terminator, right? <laughs> There's a movie about that. Or artificial intelligence has become so sophisticated that now it's controlling us and we just don't even know it. And that is the Matrix, if, if you've heard or seen about that movie. Um, or Aliens was his other option, which is, doesn't seem as funny as maybe it used to in some ways. And so literally, this, is what, this was his conclusions, was he was coming to, and, and this is what was keeping him from thinking Christianity had anything to say. Christianity is so foolish, it's so naive, it's one of those backwards, you know, old school religions that just needs to be deconstructed because it's just been fooling people, all these things. And I was listening to him, and I was like, look, man, I, I'm with you. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I know my intelligence is so insignificant. I know all these things. And it was funny because I just said, but what if? What if instead of those three options that you're talking about, what if there is, there is, a, there is a God who's outside of all of this? Just like you say, there's got to be something outside. What if he's a creator? And what if he really does want us to know him? And it was so interesting to see, and he was just, he was talking so fast, he was, and he just was like, and he just paused. And I thought, okay, we're together. He's not put, confessing faith in Christ or anything, but at least he's like realizing that Christians aren't idiots or don't just like fight all new information. But, but he was like, okay, well, that's it. And I said, and what if virgin birth is so important because Jesus couldn't have come from us. He had to come from somewhere else. Like, what if, the, and it was so funny because he actually grew up Catholic, so it was like the, probably the first time he's ever heard the virgin birth mentioned, and there's a little bit of why behind it. And, and so this is what was so exciting to me is because he had to go pretty soon after that, but it's at that moment he said, do you guys do this every day? Because I would love to do this again. And I was, like, I was just, I don't know, I was just so pumped after that conversation. But so anyways, that's a long way to answer the question that I, I think there's a total shift in what we're dealing with or what we're up against in society as, as followers of Christ, as Christians. And so it really is different. I mean, the gospel doesn't change at all. It's always the good news and all of these things. But I, in some ways, it's like artificial intelligence. I said this on Sunday, but like I've been thinking about artificial intelligence is a reality that we have to contend with. I mean, it's... It's going to change, just like the Industrial Revolution completely changed a lot of things. I mean, we're going through a revolution right now, a technological revolution that, I mean, it's, the landscape is going to be so different from here on out. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, Terminator or Matrix are right. I'm just saying the landscape is going to be so different. And, and so we're dealing with this artificial sense, but I've just got so much hope that the ancient intelligence of the scriptures and the almighty intelligence of, of the Lord, it's, it's going to see us through, but we got to hold on tight to Jesus right now. I think it's interesting that, you know, it sounds like you were hitting really close to this exact thought, but like he's basically was describing that there's got to be a, a superior intellect. Transcendence. Yeah. Sovereign over everything. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I people are seeking like crazy right now. Yeah. They're seeking in podcasts. They're seeking in hallucinogen drugs. They're seeking in therapy. They're seeking in all. There's so much thinking because I think people are running into the dead ends mm -hmm. 
of all of these, you know, humanistic ideologies, and they're turning. And, and it's, it's a, I mean, I feel like it's a great time to be someone who knows the gospel, and yeah. it's a great time to be a witness. Just a follow-up thought to that, like one of the insights I've always appreciated is our role as Christians is not to make people believe the gospel, but it's to do what David was doing, which is it's been worked out in our lives so much that we know how beautiful it is so that when we tell the story of the gospel to someone else, that even if they don't believe it, they sit there wishing it could be true. And if we've done that, we've done our role. Um, you know, belief, God is the source, you know, the author of our faith and everything else, but our role is to present it as so beautiful that they would go, well, I sure wish it could be true. I want it to be true. And so. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, I agree wholeheartedly, David, that it seems like people are looking and searching for truth or something like truth more now than they have in my whole lifetime. Um, I, I think my, my response to that question, what are the, some of the significant anti-Christ things that I see uh, in society are interesting because these aren't, one of these is not new at all. One of these has gained some real traction, but I see them as opposite ends of a spectrum, not exactly polar opposites, but uh, one would be materialism, but not in the sense of like, you know, I'm a material girl in a material world, uh, not shopping in cars or anything, but materialism is as, as in the belief uh, that the only, um, that we live in a world that is exclusively physical, that is exclusively material, that there is nothing other than the material, right? So your consciousness, for example, is one area that, that really uh, smart people, philosophers, scientists, they really focus in on trying to see if this lines up with materialism, right? So is your consciousness really just the ghost in the machine? Is it really just the result of your brain computer you know, doing stuff, is it your software, or is there actually something that's non-physical that is your consciousness? Um, you know, is there actually something that starts to look like a spirit or a soul or whatever you might, you might call it, right? Um, and materialism has a tendency to really be linked up tightly with scientism, which is the, essentially the belief that undergirds so much of, of the world in which we live in our, in our culture and society, the belief that the only way to really know if something is true is through uh, observation and the scientific method. Um, and, and, and so much so, I think that that's, that's a belief that, uh, that even most Christians uh, in some way hold, even though they also hold the Christian worldview and they are water and oil and they don't mix. Uh, but there's parts of our lives where we tend to believe that, okay, no, there is only the material. Um, and, and the way Nancy Piercy describes it in a number of her books is that it's like, like we've we've taken truth and we've put it we've made it into a two-story building and the upper story which is the story that nobody cares about is values subjective things and the lower story is those those observable facts right and so these are the ones that are important these are the ones that everything is founded on but those upper story that those values are really no different from whether i like chocolate or vanilla ice cream and our religion and spirituality all goes up there too so that's why we can say well this is a fact and why we can have people who are postmodernists who don't believe in truth can say to some extent can can somehow believe in truth and not believe in truth at the same time. They can say, well, it's a fact that this and this and this and this, and it's a fact that you know science proved that there is no God. It's or a whatever. fact that nothing can be a fact. Yeah, exactly. So. But then they can say, but my truth and your truth and you know whatever you want, because they're saying values are up here, and that that really segues into I think the the second major thing that I I, well, see. I got I got more on the first one. You got more? Oh, yeah. yeah. What, before I go, I yeah. thought this was interesting. We were actually just talking about this before, but that post-Christian antidote graphic where it's got the statue. 
statue of, of Jesus with his arms out. Um, it was so interesting when he first showed me that graphic, uh, Dalton, um, I had just seen a, uh, someone was, was talking about this commercial um, where they were shooting a, a car commercial in Brazil and they, they panned across this bridge where that, that statue of Jesus is in the background. And they actually, in the commercial, they removed the statue from, from the commercial um, before they released it because it was, you know, it was too offensive or it didn't fit their, their brand or whatever it was. But they actually, like, removed Jesus from the commercial. And I just thought, this is so perfect. I mean, that's exactly what's happening. And that's a, that's a silly thing or whatever and all of that. But there's just, there's just, a, there's just a sense within, I think, society right now that, that Christ, that Christianity, and the teachings, especially, you know, some of the, the sexual ethic and some of those things are just, they just need to be erased. They need to be removed. Um, and so that, that's another reality. But I thought it was just so funny. Even the graphic of this thing was like so controversial because Jesus is in it. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was going to say like the, the second uh, bridge there for me would be, would be postmodernism, right? So ironically, like, oh, there is no truth. Um, and it's so interesting how I think those, those two things um, in, in a lot of ways, I think, are driving the searching that you were talking about, right? The belief that, I think, the breakdown of the belief that there is only material. Um, and, and postmodernism, in a lot of ways, actually, I, I overheard you talking with John Chang a little while ago about this. Like, po- postmodernism is, in a lot of ways, a reaction against that. Uh, well, a reaction specifically against modernism. But, you know, it's saying, well, no, these systems, this logic, this reason, like, there's holes here. And so postmodernism seeks to just take a shotgun and blow it all to pieces and say there is nothing, you know. Um, and, but, and, and, and so people, as they're sinking their teeth into that, they're realizing, well, there's holes in this worldview that just blows holes in everything. Um, so where, where do we go for truth? And you're seeing all these new ideologies pop up. People are sitting down and thinking for themselves, like the guy you're talking about, and coming up with what makes sense to them. And at the end of the day, the only thing that actually fits everything is, is the Christian worldview, because it's the only thing that's based on, on actual truth and actually knows that truth is a person um, who's knowable, not just intellectually, but relationally as well. Um, but yeah, uh, I wanted to pivot a little bit, unless you guys had more thoughts on that, on those, those things that are... Um, I wanted to pivot a little bit to specifically David's message on Sunday, right? Um, the, the, the piece of the antidote that he gave us on, on Sunday was... Uh, was be together and go together. Um, and so the, the question I have for us would be this. Uh, how does being together guard us or recover us in some way, maybe heal us, restore us, uh, from the effects of the post-Christian culture around us? What is it about being together uh, that is that makes it an antidote? So this just happens to be where I was reading in the last few days. And um, Matthew 13 starts with, uh, Jesus's family coming to look for him and, you know, Jesus followers going, hey, your family's here to look for you. And he says, well, who are my mother and sister and brothers? Those who do the will of the Father are my mother and sister and brothers. And it's, you know, it speaks to that, like, okay, connectedness, but connectedness because of doing the will of the Father, that we're on mission together. And if you look at the context of what had just happened in the whole chapter 12 before, um, Jesus is casting out demons they're saying, by the prince of Beelzebub, he casts out demons. Uh, Jesus responds and says, how can a house divided stand if I cast out demons by the prince of demons? 
then you know it's all going to collapse. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. Um, and then you know the next thing is, well, we want a sign. And he says, it's a wicked and adulterous generation that asks for a sign. And what you see is, you know, a post-faith community of God that's there asking for signs and saying what they want and what their demands are. Um, and Jesus gets to the place where he says, look, when an evil spirit is cast out, it goes through dry and waterless places. Uh, and then it says, hey, you know what? I was better off where I was. Goes back, finds his house swept, cleaned, uh, and he takes seven demons more wicked than himself. And the last state of the person is that, you know, much worse than when they even started. And Jesus is speaking to a generation, and he's saying, look, the kingdom of heaven has come upon you, and I am cleaning house right now. But if you guys don't fill this house after I leave, you're going to be in a much worse state. And so what he's saying is, if you don't fill this house, this generation, with worship of me and connection to others, it's going to be an empty space, and it's going to come in, and, you know, worse spiritual forces. And, you know, for the Jews, that was a reality because Rome did come in and wipe out Jerusalem. And so the antidote for that community, just like the antidote for our community, is that we fill our house, our church house, our generation house, our homes with connection with God and connection with one another, that we go on mission with our brothers and sisters in the Lord doing his work because unless we're an alternate community offering something else to the world, then we're just brain boxes with rules and things like that, and that's not at all what we're called to. It's the connectedness and being an alternate community that is a light, that's a city on a hill, that's an offer to the post-Christian world around us. And, and David's talked about the post-Christian winds. He's talking about spiritual warfare. And what Jesus was talking about for the generation that was asking him for a sign, um, it was spiritual warfare. It's all in the context of he's doing deliverance work and saying you need to fill up your house with relationship with me and connection to others. Yeah, the, I mean, obviously, we used some scripture on Sunday to, to, to kind of frame up what it looked like to be together and, and what was good in Book of Acts. I mean, it's just so fun to read those, those you know, first chapters in the Book of Acts and just to see that community form, that community um, be together. And, and the be together, go together, I mean, what you see in there is at first, they were all gathered together in an upper room, and I, I mean, I don't know exactly if it's true, but it almost is like they were, they were doing that because they were, they were still nervous. They still didn't know what was going to happen, but they were kind of hiding out. But they were gathering together, and, and then, you know, there's a wind that blows, and then there's the fire that comes. And what happens is that little together there becomes international immediately. It's an international together. So that together just blew their mind. It wasn't now just a gathering of, of Jews, but now immediately when the Spirit showed up, the gathering blew, blew their minds, blew their constructs, blew everyone's understanding of what... When, so when Jesus said, I want you to be together, like he was, they were thinking this, and he was thinking world. Um, so I think that, that's pretty fun. But then the very next thing you see is that they were daily gathering in house to house. Um, and in the temple. And so it, it's, it's not just about, and this is our big thing here, is church is more than a Sunday thing. You know, it, it's, God doesn't want to make you good at church. He wants to make you good at life. We're doing life together, not church together, as the next sermon series. <laughs> um, but just that whole idea that they realize that it's not just 
a gathering for a moment, but it's, it's living a life that's constantly in, in gathering, in community, and, uh, and daily, and house to house, and temple, and wherever it might be, they just constantly were gathering. And that, that pattern continues there, um, and you get to see the Lord adding to the church. And, 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 and for me, that's just been so inspiring. And, and in my, my little lifetime, I remember when I, was, when I was first was, was getting really excited about the Lord and, and the scriptures. I was, I, was te- I was living in Oregon, and I was asked after the school ministry I'd gone through to be in charge of the first through sixth graders at this church. And, uh, and I, was, I was 18 years old, um, and there's, there's been more mature 18-year-olds um, for sure, but I guess there was just barely enough for them to think this was a good idea. But the trick was there was a huge church in southern Oregon, there were 600 first through sixth graders that would show up on a Sunday morning. And so the church half of the year would meet outside in an amphitheater, and so I would have 600 of them in a sanctuary like this, um, me and some of my leaders. And I was 18 years old. So it was kind of a wild situation. I didn't know what to do, but I remember teaching the book of Acts through that time, and it was so fun to see like this togetherness start to form, and then to see really supernatural great things. I mean, kids would come up and tell me about dreams they were having. And I remember one girl came up and she said, the other day I was at the sleepover with my friends and I just started telling them about Jesus. And then we all prayed and they all received you. I was like, and these first two sixth graders. But I just, I don't know, for me, it was just such a neat moment to see like the scriptures apply and then come alive in a completely different context. And so that's been the joy of my life now. Everywhere I've gone. Then I came here and I worked with high schoolers. And I was like, we're doing the book of Acts, you know. And so we go to the book. And it was like you get to see this like whirlwind of God's love. That anyone who comes around. I mean, you got to see it. Like people would just come around and they'd just get sucked up in it. Because there was just something so beautiful about that love and that community. Um, And then, you know, went down to Belize and Gales Point, a village. No running water. My crazy wife, my one-year-old who, daughter who was becoming more and more jungle crazy as we were there. Um, and we got to see it there. In this, in the, it just like all of a sudden appeared as we started gathering people together and really bringing in whoever would come. There were church people. They wouldn't come, but these kids would come, and then these young people would come. And then it was like you could see this synergy happen. It was like this is really happening. And we weren't just doing church services. We were doing church services, and then we were doing all the in-between times we were doing stuff together. And so, I mean, I just, and then I came back and did it on a Saturday night service right here, and then, and then went back down to Dangriga, a different town, and got to see it happen there. And then to come back here, and you know, it happens, it was already happening in Living Streams, but we just kind of stoked some more fire. And then I go to the cold, dark, and lonely, super post-Christian farm town, Ireland, and it didn't happen and it didn't happen, and it didn't happen. We kept trying, and then it happened. I mean, it just, it was like, I was, there was a point at which I was like, well, maybe it doesn't happen here. <laughs> maybe this place is different. Um, but then in those last few months, I mean, it was just awesome to see what the Lord was doing in that little church of five older ladies and then this South African pastor who had just lost his wife, but he was still laying down his life for some farm town in Ireland. And it was just so cool to see little by little, little by little, little by little, that little group form. And still, they send me, they send me pictures all the time 
um, of, of what the Lord's doing. And the Lord's still adding to the church, and they still have all this together. So anyways, there's just something so powerful when the people of God come together. It's powerful. How do you do that, David? Like, not like how do you do that, but I mean, there's someone who, he, just this track record, right, of like, okay, just pulling people together and seeing what the Lord does. Like, could you just hit a couple of practical things that you feel like are maybe a thread of like, how do we pull people together, focus on the Lord, and let that, that whirlwind build? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I was going to say what his former roommate said when he first moved here, and it was that David's just really opportunistic, which I think is an appropriate way to say he recognizes the moment, that there's moments that happen to us all the time that we go, okay, what's the Lord doing in this moment? Now let's speak up and capitalize on it. And they just said that that was something that characterized David. And to kind of watch that after he moved here, I would say it's totally true. I'm opportunistic. You recognize no, when the Holy kidding, Spirit is doing something in the moment well, and you I think jump I, in and give voice I mean, to I think it. I just, I want so badly to see the Lord do something. Like, I'm, I'm scared to death of status quo. That, I think that scares me more than anything else, that things would just be the same. Um, and so, I mean, I, I, I think really what happened in my life was the Lord came in and, and, and stirred some stuff up. And, and started a little fire. And then, and then really it was working with those kids. I mean, just seeing, seeing that thing happen, it just it made me believe. It made me believe that the stuff that was written that long ago to people that I'm so far away from, is, it's potent and it's alive and it's real. Um, and so I, I don't know the how except for just showing up and sticking with it. Um, my wife's usually the reason we go to places. She's She's got the courage, but um, I like her, so I, stay, I go where she goes. Um, but yeah, there, I, I mean, it's not complicated. Acts 2.42 is, is been the motto. It's they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. Those aren't complicated things. And that's literally, you just, that's the formula. You devote yourself. When, when, it's, when there's only two showing up or nobody shows up, you just still show up. Faithful, faithful, faithful. And then you, you make sure there's the Word of God. You make sure there's some fellowship, like it's fun, it's not horrible. Um, and then prayer and then communion. I mean, these, those are the things that, that eventually seem to stir things up. Let me, let me slightly rephrase that in a really practical way because I actually feel like there's something important here too. What would you say to the hypothetical person who feels called to their the people in their corporate office that they're going to, you know, nine to five, uh, five days a week. They feel like this is Ireland. This is wet. This is cold. This is post-Christian. There's nothing here, but the Lord has me here. And I'm hearing the Lord tell me this is my mission field. Um, and it's, it's like, how am I going to stoke a fire here? Uh, what, like, again, hypothetical, you know, so make it, make up your answer, but also, you know, generally applicable. What would you say to that person who's wanting to see a fire stoked there, who's wanting to see a whirlwind of, of community, of being together, of, of, of falling in love with the Lord uh, begin in that environment? Well, I would say that Jesus probably knows what he's doing, and so he sent people, his disciples out two by two. So I, I think it's, it's just get someone to do it with you. Find someone that can go with you 
and I, again, that might be impossible, maybe there's no one else there, then at least ask someone to say, I'm going to go do this, can you pray, you know, and I'll tell you how it goes. Somehow you, you want to do it with someone for, for many different reasons, but, um, but I think you just start doing it, just the two of you, or just the three of you, whoever you can get, and just be okay with that. And then as, 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 as people see it, or as, as, as you do that, if someone's interested, you can invite them in or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I, think, I think you just, you do, you do those things. And, and again, way, the way that can look, you know, more practical, I, I, love, um, I love like young life in some ways. I think they have a lot to teach us um, about a lot of things. But one of the things they do is they, they show up and they, they call it contact work, where you're actually showing up with the intention of making a connection with someone. You're not, you're not necessarily even trying to preach or teach the Bible, or, hey, can we pray with you, or do you want to take communion together right now? <laughs> I think you can go, you can go overboard and, and all of those things. But, but just, to, just that people really, they know you care. I mean, I, I've asked, I don't know how many people I've asked, strangers or one-time connections, Hey, would it, would you be up for me praying for you? Um, at the end of a conversation with them, and I've I don't think I think maybe twice I've had someone say no, but I've never had someone act you know like angry or upset by that. So I mean I think I think it's a lot it's there a lot more. Maybe that's the opportunistic side. Maybe it's there a lot more than we would give credit to. When we think of Jesus, where he tells his disciples, "Look, and what do you see?" And there was all these Samaritans coming up, and he's like. Don't you see that the field is white with harvest? But they, but they couldn't see Samaritans, right? They had closed their eyes off to Samaritans, so they couldn't see where the opportunity was. And, and I bet you in every work situation, workplace, if you're paying attention, if you're looking to make connection, you're going to eventually see someone who it's like, oh, that, <laughs> that person's needing a little encouragement right now. And it might take a little week or two, or maybe you're wrong a few times, but I think I think going for it. Come out of hiding. Pick a fight with the darkness. You know, gather people together. I was just telling someone who, uh, I was chatting with someone. That might be a better question for Dan, though, because Dan actually doesn't work at a church. I'm just that's, a church guy, true. so what do I that's know? That's true. I, uh, I was just chatting with someone last night, or yesterday who was asking me questions about what something we talked about last week in the deep dive of, like, going to see this, uh, this psychic and telling her about Jesus and all that stuff. And he was like, how do you do that? You know, and, and I was just kind of explaining, well, okay, what, this is what, like, okay, you, you, like, him and his girlfriend want to go and tell some strangers about Jesus. He's like, I've never done that before. Tell me, tell me about that, you know, and I, um, and I, and one of the things I said was, it's interesting how, like, I think we, we are waiting for the Holy Spirit to, like, grab our attention and say, like, hey, you got to go talk to that person. And that happens sometimes. But my experience is that when we have a half an hour, an hour, two hours is great, but half an hour is more than enough. And we just say, Jesus, this is yours. Holy Spirit, where do you want to point me? Um, the Holy Spirit's like, great, I've been waiting for someone to ask. You know, like there are opportunities that the Holy Spirit will show us if we ask for them, but not if we don't. Um, but yeah, Dan, you got any thoughts along those lines? It's funny because my job, I work from home, but I go out and meet with people. And so it really, it's looking for opportunities within the relationships that are there. Um, there's someone that I've traveled with um, that one time his out of office was on. Like we connected because I quoted a Zoolander line uh, stepping out of a car and I almost crashed into him. I was like, oh, sorry, I'm not an ambi turner. 
and he thought that was the greatest thing in the world. So he still sends me like Zoolander titles in my emails and stuff, but, um, but kind of through a fun way made a connection with him and, you know, had done some traveling with him. And at one point his out of office was on emergency, family, whatever, I will not be in contact, blah, blah, blah. And I just, hey, it's an opportunity. Um, hey, so-and-so, I'm praying for you. I don't know what's going on, but I just wanted to let you know I'm praying for you. And, you know, several days later, he called me and then explained his crazy extended family situation, which he had no idea that I had the same kind of stuff happen. And so I started to share from that. And he's like, oh, you're the expert on this. And I was like, no, I stumbled my way through it by the grace of God. And, you know, at that point, just shared on the practical level. And then the next time he came through town, um, he wanted to, you know, catch me up to what was going on in his extended circumstances. And I said, yeah, I'd love to, you know, let's go out to dinner. So went to dinner because he was in town and just, hey, can I share where this comes from for me? This comes from, you know, being part of a community of faith. I've been a Jesus follower. Um, and he was, you know, open to that and whatever. And like, well, yeah, I used to go to a Presbyterian growing up, Presbyterian church, but, you know, haven't been in a long time. And some of those things. And then another tragedy happened in his life um, a short time later that he emailed me and said, would you please pray for me? Um, so, and it's, you know, I wish there was more of that at my work and I'm wanting to grow on that and learn that and things like that. And because a lot of times I'm isolated or talking to people on teams or stuff like that, um, or it's going and meeting with someone and talking about their design project, um, it's hard to get those opportunities. So it is, you know, and I guess one of the things even to think about, um, you know, just people I've heard talk about, you know, you start praying for people around you, not always, but more often than not, those people will start approaching you um, kind of thing. So I'm saying that to, as an encouragement to myself for wanting to grow in those things and stuff like that. Like, you know, we think of we pray so that we can do great works, but a lot of times the great work is the prayer, um, you know, the breaking of bread, holding the apostles teaching, the, the prayer. Um, so it, it is, you know, just being willing and open and going, Lord, if I'm in a situation, I want to speak up for you. That's so good. And uh, don't, don't stress yourself out. That, that's the other thing. I think, I think just pick, pick one day, one hour where you're going to be paying attention, like just on Fridays or something. Don't do Mondays. Or maybe Monday's better. I don't know. But, like, just pick one day because I think you can also it's, – it's not like – you know, beat yourself up about this or whatever. But I just, I just think if you create a little space somewhere and just pray about that and, and go in with eyes open and attention and just and say, okay, Jesus, who are you looking at right now? Because I want to look where you're looking. I don't want to miss the ones that are ripe. I don't want to miss the Samaritan if that's who it is. Um, I think there's something to that. Um, and maybe that's the opportunistic side of it. But every once in a while, you just got to be eyes wide open because it's hard, I, I mean, at work to, to always be, hey, everybody, because you got to work, too, you know? That's, such, that's, like, such good practical advice at the same time, though. Like, like I remember when I waited tables, uh, at some point, I, I, I just decided that, like, you know, when you're, when you're waiting tables, like, you're running around and super busy all the time. But then you have to, like, go from sprinting across the building, bringing people food and orders and stuff to, like, waiting for what seems like an hour to fill up drinks it's really like a couple of seconds but it feels like so long when you're when you're rushing at a restaurant filling up drinks for a table and i just decided like filling up drinks was my talk to jesus time 
Um, even though it's only a few seconds, but I'm doing it over and over and over and over, and there's nothing I can do when I'm waiting for those drinks to fill up at, at you know at the restaurant. And um, that had a huge impact on on my life with Jesus at work because uh, I was talking to Jesus, and now all of a sudden I'm paying attention to like, oh, what's going on at the tables? Like, is there someone that Jesus wanted me to talk to, a coworker or um, or someone you know someone who's in the restaurant? But uh, just to follow up too, I think um, working in the corporate world, I have inclusion and diversity trainings, although they're not as um, frequent as they were a couple years ago. Um, kind of like for me, I've sort of wanted to take part in those to be like, hey, can we have a conversation about this and just be prepared with good questions? Um, like, you know, for you know, inclusion and things like that, just, hey, I've kind of noticed that every narrative of inclusion has to start with who's not going to be included. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Is, is that true for this one? Are there people that can't be part of this inclusion conversation? And just, you know, it's funny because, you know, the manager that was doing the training for my team on one of those was just like, he was on board with me. So I was like, yeah, you don't have to bug me about it. But, um, but just, you know, to think through some of the things, to be able to ha ask good questions, uh, given the opportunity, I've done that in surveys and stuff like that. Like, don't have tons of opportunity, but, you know, just to think through ahead of time, hey, I'm going to have a diversity training. What, what could be some good questions to ask? That's good. Um, so uh, sticking on a similar topic there, but, but uh, when we talk about uh, being together and going together as, as, as part of that antidote, um, it seems to me like there are barriers that are really common for all of us to being together and going together in a really meaningful, deeply entrenched, intimate community of God way. What are some of the barriers that you guys see and, and do you see any solutions to those barriers? Um, it was interesting because when we were in Ireland, the there was a huge barrier, and it was called the weather. Um, it, we, we joke about it, but we got there in, in August, and August and September, you know, were, 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 were nice. I mean, there was blackberries on all the, all the roads. You could just walk to the river and eat blackberries all the way there, all the way back. That was pretty cool. Um, and then October came, and, I mean, it, it was... It was just cold, and it was dark, and it was windy, and it was dark, and it was raining, and it was dark. And even when the sun came out, it was dark somehow. It was just so intense. But, but what happened was the people went winter also. And I think somewhat because, like, they were really nice to us when we first got there, but then I think we stayed, and they were like, we don't know what to do with you now. Now you're creeping us out. Um, and, like, no kids came out anymore. My daughters were playing with kids, you know, on the street every every day and then as soon as like the weather turned in October whew, there's just kids didn't come out until until April when they just were inside so like it was so interesting because they just like closed off and did all of that and that was that was really really hard to go through so I mean I think I think the societies that we're in there's all these different things I remember Joel Fritz my cousin used to always talk about Phoenix how it's the garage life right so your neighbors, you don't, you don't even have a chance to talk to your neighbors because you drive straight into your garage, close the garage, and go inside. So it's just like, there's just like no interaction at all. There's no front yard. There's nothing. And I, that's not true everywhere, but he was always joking about that with the city life. 
But I, so I think there's those, those practical realities that, that you have to navigate um, differently depending on where you live. But, um, but I, I love what Dallas Willard, one of his quotes was, was, he was, he was asked, what's, what's going to be the most important thing we can do for our spiritual formation? Um, what's the thing that I should focus on the most if I really want to be formed in the image of Christ? And that's where the quote comes. He said, well, first, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And then the guy who asked him the question was going, okay, what else? And he goes, that's it. That's it. And partially that's it because you'll never actually accomplish that completely. But that's, that was the idea was just we're too busy. We're too busy for the things of God. Um, we're too busy for the still small voice. We're too busy for the pace that God works and moves at. We're too busy to find the, that Sabbath moment where, where the heartbeat of God and the heartbeat of us begin to beat in sync. Um, and, and living in a city... I, it's, it's, it's intense. It's, it's intense. Having kids, being married, um, all of these things. It gets really intense. But I think, I think that's a, a huge obstacle to us being together um, in the way that would, that would be an antidote, in a way that would stoke the fires of God. Um, we just, we get too busy. We don't, we don't know how to carve out and, and keep, whether it's even our nuclear family, um, or our church family, which both are very important. Um, I think that's one of the obstacles. I don't have a solution. I just have the obstacle. <laughs> I think there's different things like that that are just like, hey, here's practical barriers that can get in the way. Um, another is just relational barriers in terms of wanting to go with other people or getting along with other people. And I remember... You know, when I was first married, um, a friend that I grew up with, uh, you know, sought out his dad as kind of a mentor in my life and was talking to him and going, man, why are friends so much easier than family? He's like, well, they're friends because you can choose them, whereas if you don't like what they're doing or whatever, you just move on to different friends. But family, you're kind of stuck with them. They're still your family. And um, basically knowing how to work out relationships so that you can go together in an effective way and that um, you carry yourself in such a way that you're open to relationships and connection um, and reconciliation. Um, that's, I think, just um, one of the things that's helped me is to think in terms of eternity. Okay, this person is going to be in my life in eternity and they're a challenge. I'm going to have all eternity to work it out, but why don't I start working on this now? And um, I've used that in my own life, sometimes for extended family and things like that, where it's like, these are the most challenging people, but I'm going to be with them in eternity. So in light of that, how should I behave with them now in terms of what God has for us, which is that we would be connected around the throne of God in eternity. So what has to happen to be in that state? And it's like, oh, probably start working on reconciliation. And so I just think, you know, relationship stuff you know, as a church that's called to be the priesthood of believers, one of the things that priests do is boundary maintenance. And so for relationships, you know, whether it's forgiveness, um, offense, things like that, um, that we as God's priests do that kind of relationship boundary maintenance on an ongoing basis is a way to reduce barriers so that we're available to partner with people. Because if we're offended by others all the time and easily, that makes it hard to say, let's go do together. Um, but if we do that portion well, 
then we connect even deeper, and then we can go and do even more. I, I was I, another thing that I was thinking, which along those lines, you were you were you were kind of touching on it a few times, and when you said it, I was just like, because it's just hard. Like, why why don't why don't we do? Because it? it's hard. Because not everyone is as is as sophisticated as I am. If it, right? if it wasn't for people, it'd be so easy. Yeah, to not do everyone people. knows what you know is right all the time, like I do. Not you know, like there's just people. Other people have other ideas, and and they really conflict with with all my ideas. Um, and and so I think that that is an, that is another reality. Family you know, nuclear family by itself. You, you mentioned family and friends. It's always funny because I feel like cousins is such a great relationship. And siblings, such a hard relationship. It's just like one step removed. You haven't met my cousin. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe that's not true. But, um, but yeah, there's just, there's just, there's a lot of dynamic there um, in that. And I, that's one of the things that we wanted to focus on in this next sermon series too is, 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 life together, not as this rosy, beautiful thing, but as this messy, beautiful thing. Um, and, and I think, you know, you get burned, you, you get, you get burned once in a church family, you get burned twice in a church family. I mean, it makes sense that you would be like, "Eh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep my distance a little bit. And the sad thing is, you know, when we keep our distance, we do protect ourselves from some of the mess, but we protect ourselves from the beauty too. And God has made it very clear from the very beginning, again, that his together is, would, is so offensive to our selfishness. <laughs> I mean, his together, when, when we're talking about his full plan, it is every tribe, every nation. It is, you know, all different colors and creed, like, well, creeds, and not in the biblical sense, but like all the cultures and all these things. And I mean, it's, it's fascinating. It's going to take that, that, you know, glorification and getting rid of our sinful nature just so we can all enjoy heaven together because we're so bad at it. So I think there's, there's just a lot of work to do there and to embrace that work. And like what Dan was saying, um, it's not their fault. The, the, the problem always lies within us if we're, if we're offended by someone else. I love what he's saying. Just start the work now and look inside because, you know, you've, you've got to begin to develop that because that's, that's how the Lord is trying to teach us to be. This together is what he wants. And so if it's not working, we've got to look inside and uh, realize it is hard, but, it, but it's because there's a beautiful thing at the end. I think that point, Damien, is, is just so significant that I want to add my two cents to. Because <laughs> I think that was, I wasn't even on my radar, but because essentially what I'm hearing you say, what you're hitting on is like one of the barriers to being together is the cut and run default. Um, is is the like ah, that, that's hard I'm not going to engage I'm going to leave and the reality is in church uh, when you live in this society when you live in a city right there are there are probably at least a half a dozen really good churches within walking distance of living streams right so it's very easy to avoid the difficult things in community in church community specifically. Right, because if if you get offended at Living Streams, well, there's North Baptist right there, there's Phoenix Bible right there, there's First Christian right there, a lot of really good churches around, you know, and 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 you'll see this, and people will do the circuit of of these churches, you know, and and I gotta tell you, I mean, as someone who has been here since I was three years old, it's not because I haven't been hurt or wronged 
And it's not because I haven't hurt or wronged other people. It's, it's because, I've, because somehow it got in me that before you leave a church, you should check in with the Lord. And probably in the vast majority of situations, you should check in with the people who've hurt you. Um, and, and I've had some really good reasons to want to leave. I actually, at one point, had the guy who was, who was my, my direct oversight saying, if I was your friend and not just your boss, and you were, worked at another church, and if they had done to you what happened to you here, I would say, get out, quit, go to another church. Um, but I knew the Lord was telling me no, and I actually had someone offering me a, a job at another church at that time, and I knew the Lord was saying, no, stick it out. Um, and what's interesting is over the years, over a, a, a literal lifetime, I mean a short lifetime, but a lifetime, I've seen people offended and leave for some for things that are, are as hard as the things that I've dealt with here in this community, some things that were harder, some that were nowhere near as hard as the things that I dealt with in this community. And it's interesting how the people who leave are the most bitter. And the people who stick it out and actually engage in relationship find healing. I, I, there's no weird or yuck or bitterness for me in any way, shape, or form over any of the, the big hurts that I've had uh, in this community. This is my family. Uh, this is one of the most life-giving communities I know. Um, and and I, so I would even just say practically to anybody who's thinking about leaving a church, um, I would say check in with Jesus first. Um, your default should not be to skip on to the next church. And I would say check in with the people who have hurt you unless the Lord is telling you otherwise. Because there are some legitimate reasons to leave. Um, and there's some legitimate things that are a problem. But just because there's something unhealthy in your church doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's time to go. It might, but it's not a good default. Um, it can be so painful. Yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel, I just feel bad. Because it's, it's funny, because I remember when I first took over, too, you know, there, there was some people who were saying, like, oh, it's going to be so nice to have you and not the, the guy I took over for or whatever. And I was like, you're just changing one stink for another stink, man. Don't, don't, even, don't even think. Like, it's just one stink for another stink. And, uh, and, and, and that's, that's, that's the truth. I mean, it's, 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 hard, it's hard to know that you hurt, you hurt people. But it, but it's also not surprising, and and I think um, it's hard when the church is a place where people get hurt. I mean, one of the things that they kept talking about in in the Catholic Church in, in Ireland, one of the, one of the reasons why there was such a turn away and a, like like kind of a slam the door on all of that was because of the abuses from you know Catholic priests to to children, and I just I just hated the idea that like because God created the church to be the place of healing. And yet, you know, it, in their minds is the place that does the most hurt. And those are just challenging, challenging things. It is messy. I mean, it is, it is messy. Um, but it's still, I mean, I, I believe God gathering us together in the church that he, that he died for, it still is and always will be the place where God brings his most healing. Um, and it's, but it, oftentimes you do have to, you have to find your way past or through some hurt to be able to find that, and I, I hate that, but it is, it's a reality. And it really is strengthening when you do, you know, it, it's a significant thing, and there's no place, there's no community in the world that you're going to go to, and people aren't going to wrong you, 
And, and if you're doing church right, you're going to get hurt. I remember I, at a, uh, when I was a junior high pastor, uh, there was a, a young guy who was really tight with me. And I remember one, he brought this up years ago. He said there was one night where we were talking, you know, it was just a really powerful night or whatever. And we were really close. And this guy, you know, he was a brother. Um, he was in seventh or eighth grade at the time. And I told him, I said, hey, if you're going to be a part of this family, if you and I are going to be brothers for life, there's going to be a day when I really hurt you. Because uh, he was just saying some things that were uh, like scared me a little bit about like, I, I think he was bad me up on a bit of a pedestal. So I just wanted to let him know like, hey, I'm not, I'm, I'm like you said, it's just one stink for another. Like I, there's, there's something stinky going on uh, in me, you know. And I said, if we're going to, if we're going to do this for life as brothers, there's going to be a day when I wrong you. Um, not because I plan to, not because I'm wanting, I'm thinking about it right now, you know, but this is just a reality. And that was in seventh or eighth grade for him. When he was a senior, we had a moment that was a really big blow to his heart, you know, and it was messy and there's no way I tread that water flawlessly. I mean, I, I, I know I wronged him in there. And, it, and when we resolved that issue six or seven months later, he said, man, I remember what you said when I was in seventh and eighth grade. I was like, I told you, <laughs> I, I was hoping it wasn't true, but I, you know, when you're brothers, when you're close, when you're tight, that's going to happen. And, and so that is a really big barrier. And I, I think that's, I'm glad we spent a lot of time on that. You know, there's a lot of other practical things like, like you said, Joel on, in his garages. I think that's, you know, his solution is build a front porch, you know, and it, it, he's not even joking. He preached a whole sermon on that once. I think that was, that was so significant. I, I think for me, I look at um, one huge one that I've been locking in on lately is like the belief that it, that people can intrude on your life um, I, you know, when I was in Southeast Asia, um, uh, taking a, a, a trip a year ago, going back and visiting, uh, the, you know, the place we were working in 2020, um, we went, uh, after the mission trip was all done, Colleen and I, we, uh, we rented an Airbnb that was just down the street from where we lived, uh, there and we popped in on our neighbors and it happened to be his birthday, you know, and it was so exciting and we popped in and saw all the neighbors and every time we would go and see one of the neighbors, you know, we're just popping in without, they have no idea that we're going to be there. You know, it's just a big surprise. They haven't seen us for a year and a half, two years, you know. And we'd pop in and they'd say, welcome us over. And we'd sit down and we'd chat with them for an hour or two. And they'd feed us food, you know, and went around to the whole. And we even saw the people who lived in the house that we lived in who we'd never met before. And they invited us in and we spent about 45 minutes, an hour, and they gave us food. And I'm like, I don't even know you. And they're like, come on in, you know. And uh, and somehow I got chatting with, with our, our neighbor, uh, with one of the neighbors that we were closest with. And she said, is it true that in America it's rude to show up to someone's house, uh, you know, without, without being invited? Or no, she said, she didn't even say that. She said, is it true that in America, like, you guys don't do that? You don't just show up at someone's house? And I said, Ibu, it's not, just, it's not just something we don't do. It's incredibly rude. And she laughed. She was like, how is it rude? When you come to my house, it's a blessing. And I thought, that's so incredibly true. And yet, at the same time, all the love in the world that I have for when my mother-in-law calls and says, hey, I'm at your front door, you know, I'm like, there, I got I to gotta like squash down a thing, you know. And, and that's actually been like that specifically, that thing that my neighbor said has been so important. And when she shows up, I've reminded myself, it's a blessing when she shows up. No one coming to my front door is an intrusion. It's a blessing. That is something that, as a, as a culture, that we have decided that it's an intrusion, and it's just not, it doesn't have to be that way. It's not a universal reality. Um, 
So I, yeah, I, I think uh, last last question for us here. Uh, are there any um, any pieces of the antidote uh, that feel like a bit of a tangent, a bit of a rabbit trail that didn't fit snugly into the series or these topics uh, that you want to squeeze out real quick uh, before we end our last uh, deep dive on this series? Any other antidotes? Are we allowed to say no? <laughs> I got nothing. Seems like such a boring answer to a question. What do you have? I got nothing. You got nothing? Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, in all of my message, I alluded to other people's antidotes that I thought were probably better than mine. <laughs> but these three, I think, I mean, they really, they really made a lot of sense to me in that, in that context of Ireland and and really felt like they were important for us to keep in front of us and to keep pressing. And they're not complicated. I mean, they're 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 not they're not complicated. They're hard, and they might even get harder to do as as we continue um, to go through post-Christian wins and whatever that means. But um, one of the things I was thinking on the together thing is, and I don't quite get it all yet, but but. When we get to heaven, there, there's just going to be a togetherness that I think is, is unfathomable. Um, like with every tongue, every tribe, all of that. Somehow there's no marriage or giving in marriage. I've been, I've been pondering some of that. And, and like I've been trained, and it's true that my, my family, my wife, my kids, you know, they are, they are my primary you know, that's my primary um, focus. That's my primary intention. But, um, but I also have, we all have a role within the family of God, which is outside that. And even Dan alluded to, who are my mother? Who are my brothers? And all those things. So it's, it's kind of this interesting dynamic because when we get to heaven, it seems like there's going to be a shift in some of that. Like there won't be that same type of familial family, nuclear family connection that will give way to something much deeper and much greater. Um, and I don't, like, honestly, I don't even know if I like the sound of that, but it definitely seems like that. Am I, this, this seems like that scripturally, right, Dan? Yeah, I need, I need reassurance here. Um, that's, that's why we It's so uncomfortable for me. Like, I, I, I always, Dan's like my, comfort, my security blanket. Um, and, and so anyways, that, that's, a, that's kind of a, a broad concept there, but, I've just I've been so intrigued by when when God says he wants us together just the depth the intensity the majesty of all that really means I mean even when he says that when Jew and Gentile come together we'll get to see the the manifold wisdom of God on display so I think it's a very high calling I think it's a very it's something that we really should focus and pay attention to but I also don't want you to leave here feeling like, well, I need to do this now. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this, and just feel burdened or whatever. So I think I think just do little small bits. Pick one day, one hour, one person to do something with, and just start with that. If I was going to pile something on, it would be joy, like going out in joy. And um, I remember having an Old Testament teacher that came from substitute teaching for his wife at McClintock High School. He was like, hey, how are you doing? He's like, I am great. I have so much hope because of those kids. They were awesome. I love talking to them. And it was like, 
that was so refreshing. And to kind of have that mindset and that engagement and like, you know what? There's so much reason for hope and to talk to each other that way. Because I think a lot of times we can be like, do you you see the the clouds gathering? It's going to be horrible. And it's like, you know what? It's for the joy set before him and that, you know, we're invited into joy. And yes, that can go through suffering. But what better thing to enable enable you to go through suffering than joy? And so anyways, that would be my last thought. Those are really good ways to wrap up, and I'm going to ruin it with one last way too heady thought. Um, I really shouldn't, but i got to squeeze it out before we get through this series. <laughs> so non sequitur as it may be. Um, and I, and if you, you can just like end right now. You could just stop listening if you want, if you don't want to listen to something a little bit too nerdy. But um, it was uh, John Tyson is the person who I heard articulate this at a conference. Uh, he said it was Charles Taylor. I listened to a 45-hour audiobook of Charles Taylor and don't know how John Tyson squeezed us out of that book, but also um, don't listen to Charles Taylor. It's too much. Um, <laughs> but um, but he, he talked about this, uh, this kind of theory in looking at how a society goes post-Christian, how a society goes, uh, he called it uh, stages of secularism, right? And so there are three phases of secularism. Uh, in the first, you're, you're basically contesting truth, or sorry, you're repressing it, so it's head in the sand like, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm just pretending I don't know. I'm ignoring the truth that I know. And so in that uh, stage of secularism, really kind of fire and brimstone preaching is really fruitful, right? So that's when, you know, back in the 1800s, you go into the bar, the pub, everybody knows that they shouldn't be in there. And you go in there and you say, you're all going to hell. And they say, you're right, we are. Let's go get saved today. Um, because they're just suppressing what they already know. In, in secular too, essentially you're contesting the truth, right? And so that's what we kind of saw mid-last century where it's like kind of the rise of scientism, of Darwinism, right? Of this alternate story saying, I'm going to poke holes in the Christian worldview and I'm going to poke holes in the truth. And in that phase, actually what can be really uh, effective is the apologetics that most of us grew up with, right? Like, let me answer these things. Let me tell you why I don't think Darwinism has an answer for the origins of life. Um, you know, and, and if you can argue that and win, um, maybe something valuable happens. In Secular 3, we've progressed past this, and it really is defined by uh, kind of the, the term that people like, the word coexist, right? Tolerance, right? It's there are no preferred narratives. Uh, so that's when we say your truth, my truth, you do you. It doesn't really matter. I'm not threatened by your worldview because I don't believe that your worldview has any claim over my life. Uh, you do you and I'll do me. Um, and, and so what he said then, practically speaking, what we usually do in the other two phases of secularism, and you can see how we've kind of progressed as a society more or less to that secular three, where it's just kind of you do you. Normally we approach things uh, in evangelism by saying, hey, you know, the, the Christian worldview is true uh, and it's good, right? So it's functional. Like if you, do the, if you live this way, it'll actually work and be helpful. Uh, and it's beautiful. Uh, but in Secular 3, where we're for the most part at in, in our society, all you do is you keep those same three things, but you invert them. And you start by saying it's beautiful. Um, because you can't argue with beauty. Because people don't, they, okay, let me, let me paint you a picture. Let me tell you a story about God and how much he loves you. And let me tell you how, how wonderful this is. And let me paint the arc of the story of humanity and his relationship with God and, and his pursuit of us, right? And, and, and let me tell you about the beautiful things that God has done in my life. No one argues with beauty. You just stare in awe at beauty. And beauty doesn't necessarily have a claim over your life. And then you progress from beauty to say, and by the way, this beautiful story 
it happens to be functional, right? It's good. Like, if you live this way, it's, it's going to do something valuable in your life. That's, I think, you know, why people love Jordan Peterson is because he's just talking about what's good, what's functional, what's going to make your life better, right? And then once you have that something is beautiful and that something is good, you have pretty reasonably helpful uh, circumstantial evidence that says it might actually also be true. Um, and so that was a distillation of a much more complex thought. But hope, essentially all that to say, when it comes to telling people about the truth, uh, in this society, it might be good if we try to restructure our default uh, by starting with saying it's beautiful. Uh, by starting, by being good at painting pictures, good at telling stories, good at, at really focusing in on the beauty of how God loves us, how he's pursued us, how he saves us, and how he wants to know you. Um, we might find a little more value in that strategy these days uh, than we might have in the past. Um, so, sorry for ruining those really good, smooth, meaningful, heart, valuable things. You can just remember what Dan said about joy and pretend that that was how we wrapped it up. Um, but, uh, Dan, uh, would you mind uh, maybe praying for us? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness, for the beauty that you filled this world with. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, open our eyes to see the opportunities around us uh, as we go and engage culture. Uh, Lord, that you would lead us into connections. Um, Lord, that we could go out into the culture together, Lord. Um, and Lord, that we can tell your story well. Um, we just pray for uh, your blessing on this church, Lord Jesus, that you would use us like a city on a hill, Lord Jesus, that um, we would put your glory on display, that you would build us into courageous people, uh, and that you would help us to engage in society's pain with your love and your goodness uh, as we go. We just pray a blessing on everyone that uh, chose to take a night to be here instead of wherever else they could have been, Lord. Uh, just pray that uh, it would be uh, a blessing in a special way as they go out tonight. Uh, thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name.